Okay, so here we go. We are learning Shar HaBitochen. We are in the middle of chapter 3, Perik Gimel of Shar HaBitochen. Um, we're in the middle of that Perik, which is a lengthy and important Perik, and I hope to finish that Perik together tonight. Um, I'll just mention before we start that tonight is, uh, today is the 22nd of Shvat, is the yard site of the Rebetzin, Rebetzin Chaim Mushka, the Rebbe's wife, who passed away today, uh, 35 years ago. I was a student in yeshiva then in Crown Heights, and um, anyways, tremendous person, and her neshama shavan aliyah, be a for all of us, and all those who follow in her ways, in the ways of her husband, and to bring bracha to everyone and everything that they need, and to call Yisrael, with the gula shleim, amir Hashem. Okay, we are holding in middle of, as I said, perigimel, and we were discussing... The fact that the various ways, the various ideas that's important for a person to remember in order to have true bitachin. And he talked about a number of things. He talked about five main things in this chapter, which I'm not going to review. I'm just going to talk about the fifth one. And that was a very important one. And that's to remember that everything comes from Hashem. Some things direct and many things through sibos. He calls them sibos, which are the various causes that we have to do in order to receive the brachas that Hashem wants to give us. And um, he gave some, to make it overly simplistic, he says, even if Hashem gives a person food, you have to still bring it to your mouth and you have to eat it, right? So you have to do something in order to receive the bracha that Hashem gave you. And sometimes you also have to prepare the food. And sometimes you also have to go buy the food. And sometimes you have to make the money to, to buy the food. And that might be a lifetimes of work. But all of these are providing what he calls the sibos, the various causes that Hashem puts into play in order that we should be able to receive the brachas that He gives us. Um, I don't remember if I said it last week, but it's sort of a famous joke that fits in right here about a person who is um, uh, in some type of a dangerous situation, and there's a flood, and the flood is getting bigger in his house, and, and everyone, they're, they're, they're told to evacuate. I'm not evacuating, I believe in God. And the floodwaters are rising, and uh, a boat pulls up, and they say, get into the boat, he says, I believe in God. And then a helicopter pulls up when he's on the, uh, on the roof, and he says, no, I believe in God, I'm not, I'm not uh, and ultimately the person dies, comes up to heaven, and he says, Hashem, and I believe in you, why didn't, you know, why didn't you look out for me? Sorry. Hashem says, I sent you a boat, and I sent you a plane, and I sent you a helicopter, um, I tried, right? So in other words, Hashem is giving us brachas, and yet, he says, those brachas are going to come to us through the various sibos that we are required to do to work on in order to receive and make the proper kalim, the proper vessels in order to receive Hashem's bracha. And he says that's a, that he says that's a foundational idea to understand in talking about bitachon. Yes? But how do we know that that, that that boat was really Hashem? To use this analogy, the Habdil story. Right. You know, it's hard. I think that part's hard because you think that you have bitachon and you're just carrying on. No, Hashem's got like, you would think that the water going back is really from Hashem. The boat is, is man-made or whatever. But so right. right. So I think that's what he's telling us is that when we um, focus on and think about how everything in this world is a manifestation of Hashem. In other words, naturally we think of miracles and nature. And in our mind, they're like two separate worlds, miracles and nature. So if Hashem is going to do it, there's going to be something miraculous. But if it's a boat, you know, that's the Coast Guard. Right? And really... You know, the Yom Tov of Purim, that's closer than further away, surprisingly, um, is all about recognizing that a story that nothing miraculous happened is a miracle from Hashem. 
you know, Purim, which is this, uh, perhaps one of the greatest of our Yom Tavim and most joyous, is celebrating a story where nothing miraculous happened. Right? The whole story is a story that reads like a novel, Megillah Esther. And yet, Klai Yisrael says, this is the ultimate uh, salvation of Hashem. And the message of Purim, which is really very much the message of what we're learning here, is to recognize that in this world there isn't Hashem and the other side. Right. There is Hashem. And Hashem created a world in which He works through those Sibos. And that's what He's telling us here, that um, in order to have Bitochen, we have to focus, remember, remind ourselves of this. That Hashem works in this world, sometimes directly, you know, uninterrupted, like Kriyas Yamsuf, but much more often through all the Sibos that He created to be the vehicles of His Bracha. So it's, 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 it's focusing on that. And it's focusing and reminding ourselves. And really, that's what, that's what we're learning. That's what, Bishar, that's what Bitochon, is, especially this part of Shara Bitochon, is about. Focusing and recognizing that everything we do is providing kalim, providing vessels for Hashem. Okay, so then he went off, and I'm just, uh, I'm a little bit um, reviewing from last week, just to get us into it. He went off and said, so why? Why did Hashem make it that everything is through Sibos? Right? That was, we sort of left off with this. You know, why didn't Hashem just create that our brachas should come directly from Him and we should have an easy life and just, you know, learn Torah and do mitzvahs and Hashem should provide, uh, much like He did for 40 years in the desert, right? So why couldn't that, you know, why, why was that called off? What was wrong with that plan, right? So that was the question He asked. And He gave two answers. The first answer He said, basically, which boils down to one word, which is Nisayon. Hashem created a world to run a natural course so that it's up to us to decide how to look at things and how to, how to, um, how to focus on things, um, how to see things. Um, Hashem could have created a totally miraculous world and then we wouldn't have much of an avoda. Um, it wouldn't be uh, very tremendously great if we recognize Hashem if we live in the desert and every day receive the money from heaven. Hashem created a world to run a natural order in order to create the concept of Bechir Chafshis, in order that we should be able to make freedom of choice and to choose properly. And that we should be credited for the choices that we make. And for that, Hashem gives us a world in which He operates through Sibos. So that was answer number one. That Hashem creates all of these, the need for, for Sibos and for various courses for Hashem's bracha in order that we should be tested and we should prove our faith and, and find that wisdom to see Hashem through all these different guises. That was answer number one. The second answer, He said, was... And we talked about this a little bit last time. If we wouldn't work for a living, we would be spoiled children. Um, if we wouldn't have to do anything, we would just be recipients of Hashem's revealed bracha throughout life. We would never grow. We would never become um, industrious. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, productive, right? Productive people. Um, we would be like spoiled children who always receive everything on a silver platter. And for the vast majority of people, that would not bring out the best within them just to be recipients. In fact, we talked about last week that Hashem, in His kindness, wants us to, to partner with Him. And the way we partner with Him is that He creates raw material and then we work and make things out of it. And everything that we have, we put effort into, and that way we partner with Hashem in everything that He gives us. It's interesting, we're called shutaf, like a partner to Hashem in my Sibiratius through the effort and the toil that we put into it. And that's the second idea that He said. So these were the, the two basic ideas I think we sort of left off here, that he says these are the two reasons why Hashem created the world this way, that yes, we need to create all those sibos and, and receive our bracha from Hashem through them. And therefore, he, he, he finished off by saying 
that sometimes there are people who are on the level, they're tzaddikim, and they don't need sibos. There are people that these two reasons don't really, they don't need, you know, they don't need to prove their trust, their faith in Hashem. They're tzaddikim, they're perfect, and they're fine. And Hashem can take care of them without any sibos. And they don't have to work hard for anything, and they receive their, their sustenance from Hashem directly, um, miraculously. I think we mentioned last week, Rav Shimon Bar Yochai. Rav Shimon Bar Yochai, who said, why would a person go out to work for a living? Learn Torah, do mitzvahs. So they said, how are you going to support yourself? Hashem will provide. And he was at that level that he could say that. And as we know, he lived for 12 years, right, or 13 years in a, in a cave, and Hashem makes a, uh, the, you know, the well uh, um, flow there, and the carob tree grow there. I don't know if anyone's ever been there, but they, there's tours there today where there are those carob trees and the well, and officially where he stayed. I was in that cave, if it's the right one, but that's what the tour guides say. Um, be that as it may, that's the tradition. Be that as it may, so he says, there are people who are able to live in some sort of a miraculous way. And they're able to live off that because, so to speak, Hashem trusts them with that. That yes, they can live this direct receiving from Hashem miracles and it won't affect them negatively. They'll stay complete with their, with their trust and their faith and their avodas Hashem. And there is such a thing, there is such tzaddikim. It's interesting, you go to the Chumash, who was a person who wherever he was benefited from tremendous miraculous uh, um, miracles from Hashem. And there's different names that you might think of. I doubt you're going to guess who I'm thinking of, but that's Yosef HaTzadik. Yosef HaTzadik, if you go through his story in Chumash, um, he's sold by his brothers into slavery, which is pretty bad. But wherever he goes, he's tremendously successful. Right? When he's in the home of Potiphar, he's made the master of the home. When he's in jail, he's made the master of the jail. And then he goes out to become the viceroy of Egypt. So he's a person that sort of Hashem shines on him Hatzlacha and Bracha in whatever situation he is in this way that's like that defies normal uh, statistics where, how a slave should be or where he should end up in prison and for him to become the viceroy of Egypt right? he, was, he was a beneficiary of this constant revealed Bracha from Hashem and which explains something very fascinating and it fits into what we're learning here I'm going a little bit off the beaten of the safer. I'm bringing you from other sources. It says that Yosef Atzalik was in jail, right, for 10 years. And then, well, it doesn't say that in 10 years. The measure says 10 years. But then it says that he asked the butler, right, to remember him to Paro. Remember, right, you have the story where he, um, he uh, deciphers the dreams for the butler. And he says, you're going to be brought out. Remember me to Paro. And tell Paro I'm in jail for no reason, it's no fault of my own, and he should, he should um, free me. And the Gemara says, and Rashi says, that he, Yosef was punished for this. He was punished for putting his faith in the butler. He should have put his faith only in Hashem. The question is, what did he do wrong? He was just doing his ishtadlis, right? He was, he was making his vessel. He's in jail. This guy's going to be freed. He's going to see Paro. Put in a good word for me. Like, what's, what did he do wrong? All of us are expected to do our best, put in a good word for ourselves. So the Sfarim say that for most people that would have been okay. But Yosef HaTzadik saw how he was privy to direct divine bracha. So then why was he involving the Sibos? In other words, when one is able to see that they're being recipient of Hashem's miracles in a revealed way, then put your trust fully in Hashem. 
And so much so that Yosef HaTzadik is criticized that in this time where he's seeing divine bracha, don't put then your faith in sibos that you make. Now, this, I'm, I'm, this, I'm just saying this, this is not to try it at home, but this is a concept <laughs> that's written that sometimes a person recognizes that they're living for that period of time or in that place in this miraculous way, so then, then, then just rely totally on Hashem. Not even to make those sibos. It's interesting. When it comes to, there's people and there's also places. When it comes to, for example, Eretz Yisrael. So as we know, the last 50, 60, 70 years, there's been many wars in Eretz Yisrael and some extremely scary situations and times when people didn't know which way this would turn, right? And throughout that time, whenever, and this was like whenever people would ask the Rebbe, should they, Americans, should they leave Israel? Should they bring their children home? And so on and so forth. The Rebbe was always unequivocal. Eretz Yisrael is a place of Hashem's revealed bracha. And he would say, he would say, it's the safest place in the world. It's the place that the Pasuk says, It's a place of revealed bracha and revealed miracles. And why would you try to like get out of a place of revealed hashgacha of Hashem? And this was Six-Day War. This was Yom Kippur War. This was Lebanon War. It was, all, it was, it was no, no exception in all of those years. Um, that was the Rebbe Shita. There is a place where there's more clear divine intervention. And therefore rely on it. You know, and, and there were so many people who said, like, you know, my children are in seminary and yeshiva and whatever, and bring them home. And many, many did. But not Chabad people, or who listened to the Rebbe anyway, because he was very strong about it. Always. In every one of the Israeli wars, including when, you know, Saddam Hussein was threatening with, uh, you know, with chemical warfare and so on. And people were dead scared. And the Rebbe was strong. He said, it's a place where you see the revealed miracles of Hashem. And um, again, I'm going maybe too far off on a tangent, but I remember very clearly I was there in the summer of 20, uh, 2006, and there was a Lebanon war there in the summer, because you know, as you know, in the summers I'm in Sfas. And um, it was scary. There was bombs falling every single day. And in fact, the first bomb fell right in the middle of my class, the chutzpah, right? I was in the middle of, <laughs> of giving a class on Shiva Asir and they fell. And it was a long summer, and I had to move with the school to the other side of Israel. But hundreds and hundreds of bombs fell, and nobody was, no, there was no tragedy, there was no death. It was just, it's amazing. You saw sometimes the miraculous things that were going on. But you still have to do your work. You, you got to move you, your school. You got We had to, because otherwise all of our students were going to leave the oh. country. But the fact is, you know what you got to do, but there are sometimes you see, you see the Yad Hashem. And there were stories, every day there was like the stories of today. I had two students in class, and they were going home from class, and the ear rate, the sirens went off, so they were going to make a dash for their apartment, but instead they saw a woman with a, she had a crying baby, so they went in with her to calm down the babies, and their apartment took a direct hit. And they came to class two hours later, just a drop shaken. And, <laughs> and this thing, then there was a show Friday night, I'll never forget, there was, there was two shows, and there weren't a lot of people going out, you wonder why, so they wouldn't have a minion in both places, so they decided to both dive in together in one show. The other took a direct hit. It was almost like you saw Hashem, like, you there, you here, you here. It, it defied, you couldn't, every day, it was, what happened today? What, what were the stories? And day after day after day. And there's sometimes where we see it. And sometimes in our life where we see more clearly, more revealed, that Yad Hashem. But, so, but back here, he talks about this. So he says that there is such a concept, and there are Sadiqim who live on that level all the time, and some people some other time, in some places. Be that as it may, he says, but that is not the more common 
way of survival. A more common way of survival is not Hashem will provide, I'm going to Kolol, right? It's not that way. It's that we are required to make those sibas for Hashem. Then he, he goes off into a tangent, but, but an important one. He says, but why do we find sometimes that Sadiqim, who have so much bitachon and everything, suffer? And sometimes we find, the obvious second part of this question is, that people who are very wicked prosper. So, and he goes off into this, and he says, obviously, he says, I'm not the first one asking this question. And he says, this is a question that already the Nevi'im ask. In the books of Nevu'ah, you have, for example, he quotes from the book of Yirmiyahu, chapter 12, Madua derech rishoim tzlecha. Yirmiyahu was asking, um, why is it that the ways of the wicked are prosperous? Why are they matzliach? And he says, there's numerous psukim where the Nevi'im talk about that. And he says, ultimately, there's so many different reasons and different um, parts that go into Hashem's running the world. At the end of the day, it's beyond our comprehension to understand why Hashem does what and for when and for whom. <clears throat> and that's why he says, for example, we say in Chumash, Hanistaros Hashem Elokeinu, that's a passing from Parshas Nitzavim. The hidden things are really known only to Hashem. Or we say in Parshas Hazinu, Hatsur Tamim Paolo, we express our belief that Hashem's ways are just. Kichol of Mishpat, His ways are just, whether we understand them or not. However, he says, it's important to know that there are certain basic reasons. And he goes through them. And he's actually, as we've been seeing, always organized. He's going to give five basic reasons for the suffering of the righteous and six basic reasons for the possible success of the wicked. And let's just go through the reasons quickly. Um, one idea, reason number one, why sometimes the righteous suffer, he says, is because of sins of the past. He says, they may, right now they're big tzaddikim, but as they were growing up, there could have been this sin or that sin, and Hashem wants to get those out of the way. Um, we know that every sin ultimately has to be removed. When they're removed through suffering in this world, it's actually very beneficial for the person because a little bit of suffering in this world is that much more, is able to cover that much more than what would have to be done after a person passes away. And this is an idea that Ramban talks about. Ramban talks about this in his introduction to Eov. Um, Ramban says something very interesting. He says, just like if you look at the line of um, the shade of the sun. I mean, you watch this as the sun is moving through the sky by day, and you see the line of the shade, and that moves. So if the line of the shade moved uh, a, a thousand feet, how much did the sun have to move? for the line of the shade to move a thousand feet down here. He says, who knows, who knows how many hundreds of miles? Mm -hmm. He says, everything that happens on, in this world down here is very concentrated and affects a tremendous amount above. He says, a little bit of suffering here would have costed this neshama tremendous suffering afterlife, in Gehenna or whatever, whatever. So when Hashem loves a person, He wants to cleanse them fully down here so that up there everything should be... Um, much easier for the neshama. He says, so he says that's possibly one reason. He brings a pasuk um, from Mishle, Hain Tzadik Ba'aretz Yeshulam, that a tzaddik is fully paid up in this world, so in the next world, which is the ultimate world of, um, of reward, a tzaddik is able to receive the full schar. He says that's one possible reason. Are we talking about his sins? Or yeah, yeah. In this answer, yes. In this, not yeah. this neshama that he got, that... I mean, he doesn't talk about before. that. You're talking about Gilgulim. No, he's not talking about that. He's talking about the sins of his youth when he was younger, before he became a tzaddik. Right? That's number one. Or he says number two, which is not that far from number one, it's just in order to increase their ulam haba. That the difficulty in this world 
increases the tzaddik's ultimate reward and bliss and relationship to Hashem in Olam Haba. That's the second point he says. A third point, he says, very interesting, is sometimes the tzaddik suffers in order to teach everyone else how one could be besimcha no matter what. He says, tzaddikim live for others, and many times they're, they're an example, and they're a living an example of showing the world around them how one, even in difficulty and even in pain, is able to have true simcha. And he says, that's really what was going on by Eov. Eov lived as an example, as an example, and there's a whole sefer written about him, just as an example of how with real amuna one can be able to have true simcha. There's a famous story of um, Rabbi Zusha of Anapoli, who was a disciple of the Magad of Mezrich. Someone once came to the Magad of Mezrich and asked him, how can I be happy even going through painful situations in life? And the Magad told him, he says, you know, go to my disciple Rabbi Zusha, ask him. And um, the person traveled to Anapol, where Rabbi Zusha was, and Rabbi Zusha was a teacher. And the person observed him, and he saw he was destitute, Rabbi Zusha, there was nothing. And he, his, people were sick in his family. He was like, he had sores from all sides. And finally, he came in. Rav Zusha says, how can I help you? He says, the, the Magi sent me to you. Oh, what did the Magi, why did, you send him, why did he send you to me? So he said, well, I went to the Magi and I asked him how one could be happy even amidst suffering. So he sent me to you. And Rav Zusha was perplexed and he says, whatever, my, whatever the Magi does is holy. And I'm sure there's got to be deep reasons for this, but I would have no idea why he sent you to me. I never suffered. So how can I tell you how to be happy? Right? That's Reb Zusha, and we're not Reb Zusha. But he says that that might be one of the reasons that Sadiq um, lives a life that's an example for others, and sometimes that suffering is part of the example for others. That's number three. Number four, he says sometimes the Sadiq suffers for the sins of others. And that's a big concept because the Sadiq is deeply connected with the people of his generation. And he says, it says about Mashiach himself, the Pasuk says in Yeshayahu, that Mashiach suffers and carries the pain of the generation. So he says sometimes that's the reason, because of that deep connection that a tzaddik has with the other people. And the tzaddik, there's no reason why he should be suffering, aside from that connection he has with other people. <coughs> it's a tough one. In the, uh, in the first mimer that the Rebbe said when he accepted to be Rebbe in 1951, Basilegani, which we spoke about recently, he, took, he said a story about each one of his predecessors. And the story he said about the Mittler Rebbe, which is the son of the altar of the Balatanya son, is that one time a young man came into him, and the young man confessed certain sins that he, was, that he had done. And the Mittler Rebbe says, pulled up his sleeve and showed how, his, how the Rebbe's skin was very dried up and he was suffering. And he said, this is from your sins. In other words, there was that type of a relationship and connection that the Rebbe was suffering physically because of the sins of the Chassid. And that would seem to be what he's saying here in number four. Finally, number five, uh, more of a tough one, he says that sometimes a tzaddik suffers because he's not proactive enough in protesting the negative ways of others or, be, or helping or seeing or, or um, reprimanding others. So the tzaddik might be perfect in his own avoda, but because of his responsibilities for others, that might be the area that he's suffering for. And he brings an example of something that we learned together in Navi, and that was the story of Eli HaKohen. Eli HaKohen was one of the first judges. He was the rebbe, the teacher of Shmuel HaNavi. 
And Eli ultimately was punished by Hashem because he did not reprimand and admonish his sons enough. He had, he had two sons, Chafni and Pinchas, and they were Kohanim, and they were not acting the way they should. And Eli didn't reprimand them enough, and he was punished for that. So he says that might be. These are the five reasons he gives. Okay, so in very quick succession, they might be suffering for sins of their youth. They might be suffering in order to receive more olam haba. They might be suffering to give an example for others how to be besimcha even on suffering. They might be suffering for the sins of others. They might be suffering because they're not admonishing and reprimanding others. He says, we'll never know why and what. He's just giving us possibilities. He says, ultimately, nistaros darche Hashem. We don't really understand. Again, Hashem has the big picture. We have a very small picture. But he's giving, based on different psukim, different possibilities that might be the reason for one or another situation. Those are the five reasons that he gives to explain why a tzaddik might be suffering. On the other hand, why do we see that sometimes, to the contrary, those who are wicked seem to prosper and seem to be doing great? Where does that come from? How does that fit into the story? And here he's going to give six reasons. Right? And he says the following. Um, the first thing he says is, and it's actually it uh, sort of corresponds to what he said earlier, the first thing is because the Russia may have done some good things in this world. Right? Even a person who is wicked has good things that they may have done here and there, and those things are rewarded for. Hashem rewards everyone for everything. Hashem doesn't say, well, if you're bad, I'm, I'm going to forget about the good stuff. If there's good, the good has to be rewarded. But for the Russia, it's rewarded down here. Right? Because the, the, real, the ultimate reward is reserved for up there. So the Russia is going to be rewarded down here. Um, another interesting thing he says is sometimes the Russia is given pr- pr- prosperity or wealth, not on his behalf, but because Hashem sees the bigger picture and he's going to have a wonderful son or child. And they're going to inherit all of that Hatzlach. So again, we have a very short you know, vision. We see something today and we're all worked up. How did that happen? But Hashem is a, you know, more of a, what's the word I'm looking for? More of a uh, broader picture, broader vision. So the, the Hashem might be bringing this person tremendous hatzlacha because this person's next generation, who's going to be very righteous perhaps, is going to be receiving all of this. And that, so the, the Russia here is working and being matzliach, being prosperous for their child or next generation or the one who's going to be a recipient from them. That's the second possibility. Um, a third possibility, he says, sometimes success is poison. Sometimes our success is what leads to our greatest downfall. And you never know when a person is prosperous, is that a pros- prosperity that's going to help him, going to bring him enjoyment or going to bring their downfall? Um, sometimes wealth kills a person, quite literally. Right? And he says a pasuk, he says the pasuk says in Kohelas, Oisher Shomur Libaolav Lira'asai. Sometimes wealth is there for the bad of the person, not for the good. Right? Some people, the wealthier they get, doesn't make them happier. To the contrary, and who knows where that could lead. So sometimes you look at a person's bracha, that bracha might not be a bracha at all, though it might look so to someone who's you know, standing outside the window and watching. Number four, another reason why the wicked might prosper, says this, has the Chavis HaLavavis, because sometimes Hashem is just waiting and giving the person another opportunity and another to do tshuva and not be wicked anymore. And again, Hashem has, you know, a longer, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not a long breath, but Hashem is able to, to, to patience. he has patience. And sometimes this person is very wicked, but Hashem is still hopeful and giving him another chance and making him prosperous with the hope that that person will do tshuva. And we have examples, he gives one example, of people who were tremendous Rishoyim, but did turn it around. 
um, the example he brings is of someone who we learned about in our Navi classes, and that was the king Menashe. Menashe was the son of Chizkiyahu. Chizkiyahu was the great tzaddik king of Kali Yisrael. Menashe was the son of Chizkiyahu and a grandson of Yeshayahu Hanavi, who was a, what, and Menashe became a king, king of the Jewish people, of king of Malchi Yehuda, and was a terrible Russia. But later he did Shuvah. And um, according to most, there's actually debate about it, but according to most, he died at Sadiq. So he was very prosperous and he was very wealthy and he was a king and Hashem could have removed the kingdom from him, but Hashem didn't and he did turn around and do tshuva. So sometimes that prosperity is not for where the person is holding today, but on account of where this person hopefully will come. And Hashem sees that future possibility and as in this case, it actually happened. Number five. Why, 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 why might a wicked person prosper? Says, he says another reason is sometimes it's not on account of himself. It's because of reward that's deserving to his father or the grandfather. This chus of us. He says sometimes the, the parents, the grandparents were so great that they were promised certain bracha and that bracha is in the family. So this person is not getting it on his own account. And again, he turns to the Navi and again, something that we learned here at this table or maybe it was on Zoom then, I don't remember. But it was about the king Yehu, Yehu ben Nimshi. He's, he was one of the kings of Malchi Yisrael, of the ten, uh, ten tribes. And he was the one who killed out the whole Achav family, all, those, all, all the Ebed Avid And Hashem promised Yehu that for the next four generations, kingdom will not leave your family. And that's exactly what happened. The next four generations of kings were his son, grandson, great-grandson, who were quite prosperous. They were kings and they were idolatrous. But that was the bracha that they had received because of the righteous deeds of their forebearer. So that could be another reason why the, why the wicked are prospering because of an owed reward. And again, by Hashem, everything is paid up. Positive and negative. Nothing gets lost. Finally, number six. And that's a powerful one, number six. And he says, one of the reasons righteous prosper is it's a test to everyone else. Because... How do we take that? We look around and we say, wow, I don't have to serve Hashem. I don't have to you know, do mitzvahs, learn Torah, because look, you can, you can buck everything and you can be prosperous and you can be the most successful person in town. So that becomes one of the great tests of Gullus. Now we've, we've talked about it. I think we had recently, not so long ago, an entire class just on tests. But Hashem tests us in many ways. Those tests make us stronger. Those tests make, make, make us more worthy. And one of the greatest tests is when we look around and we see, well, look, that's how they not doing so well. Look, that Russia is doing great. So what does that say to me? Where do I want to be? And, and that, he says, is a, is a nisoyon, a great nisoyon of Hashem to see how will we deal with it when we see such things like the suffering of the, of the uh, I'm sorry, the success of the, of the wicked. And he says, for example, and he always brings examples from Tanakh, he says the story of Eliyahu Hanavi. Elio, our greatest Navi, or one of the greatest Navi, Elio Navi, lives in a time where who's the king and queen? Achav, Izevel, the, the, the worst of the worst. The most wicked. And they're the king, they're the queen, they're living in a palace. He's running away in the desert. He's starving. Um, or Yirmiyahu. Yirmiyahu is the Navi who's prophesizing the Churban. And who are the kings of his time? Of, you know, wicked people. And nevertheless, they stood up to them and they weren't um, impressed and they, weren't, they didn't lose hope or faith or whatever because others, because the wicked were being prosperous. And he says that is one of the great nisyonists that Hashem tests us with. So that might be reason number six. So to, to summarize, and I'm not going to go through all the reasons, but he did give us here five reasons that are possibilities to explain 
why tzaddikim might suffer. Six reasons that might be possible explanations why Rishoyim might prosper. And he says, at the end of the day, we'll never know Hashem's reasons. Which reason applies to which person and which situation and which time and who's receiving because of their grandfather and who's someone that's therefore a test and who's someone who's already receiving for their children coming later. Why? We don't know. But these are Darki Hashem and the different sukkim that tell us different uh, reasons. But ultimately, as you said at the beginning, Hanistaros um, you know, Exactly the runnings of the world and who gets what and where and why and how and when and how long it takes. This is, that's Hashem's job. And, that's, and ultimately we understand that though Hashem gives us different possibilities, but the where and the why and the what and the when, that is what Hashem decides how to deal with every different part of His creation. Okay, having finished that, he gets back to where we're holding, and he says, no questions tonight? No, it's good. <laughs> Interesting. Um, getting back to it, he says, okay, fine. So we know now that a person has to create sebos. A person has to create um, kalim, vessels, and a person has to do their work and their effort. So now I ask the obvious job, what job should I take? In other words, okay, I have to make a seba. I have to do my job in order to, again, receive monetary bracha. And as was mentioned in previous year, it's not just about money, though money is a big thing because we have to work for a living. So it's usually something that a person has to deal with basically throughout their life. But in everything, we do our best job. You know, I think we talked about shiduchim, and we talked about refuah. There's so many different areas. In every area, ultimately, we're making sebas. So, But especially when it comes to jobs. Okay, I trust in Hashem, and I'm going to do a job. Which job? There are some that are easy. Easy in a sense, they don't take a lot of manual labor and, and they, they might be a nine to five and I go home and I sleep well. And others might be much more taxing and others might be physically exerting, others might be mentally exerting. If I have to create a SIBA, what does Hashem want me to do as far as creating a SIBA? Which SIBA should I take? There's so many different. Mm-hmm. Very practical ABC question, but he asks that right here. What SIBA should I do? And he says something that's really, really fascinating, I find, and so real and practical. He says, Hashem sends us messages. What is our right profession and what's the right way? What's the right Siba he wants us to make for him? For example, what kind of message does, does Hashem make me? He says, first of all, how did Hashem create you? What did Hashem give you? Some people are naturally, physically very strong and their big thing is their physical strength. They're just very good at these things, and they're good, and they're strong. And man, maybe deep intellectual stuff is not their thing. Other people might be very intellectual. Some people might be very weak physically. Some people might be very in tune with people's emotions. He says, Hashem gives every person the right tools that they need to do the right things for their Caleb. He says, we have to be in tune to what Hashem gives us. And he says, that's, that's part one. He says, part one is just the way Hashem made you, right? And some people are naturally, they're born into a family in a situation where certain doors are open to them. Some people, those doors aren't open. This is a message. This is Hashem saying, this is where, you're, where you have the ability to thrive. Furthermore, he says, other, a lot of times people have a natural pulling to certain areas. There's a person who just wants to practice medicine. They just have that desire. Another person 
the desire of that repulses them, right? They can't even think of that. And another person has a desire for art, and another person has a desire for this different type of numbers, and whatever it is. He says, all of these is Hashem's way of giving you messages. I created you with, with your unique set of talents, abilities, things that you're naturally good for, because that's my way of saying, yeah, that's where you'll be able to make your keli. It's not like Hashem created us all equal and say, go find a job. Hashem created us all different. And the way we are, the way we're built, and our desires, and our feelings, and our, our passions, they themselves are indicators from Hashem that this is an area that I could and I should build on. And he goes on to say something that's so beautiful. He says, forget about people for a minute. Let's think about animals. How does every animal know what it's supposed to eat? Right? Animals are obviously very different. One of them needs, some of them need meat. Otherwise, they won't survive. Right? You can't feed a lion's grass. Mm -hmm. They won't survive, right? You can't feed cows meat. So who tells the animals? Which, to which natural schools do the animals go to? Where are the cow school that teaches them don't eat meat? Oh, where are the schools for life, right? So, because Hashem, the, the, the workings, the inner work, the body of the, of the lion needs something, and he knows that he's got to do that, and that's what his desire is. His desire leads him to what he needs. Not only his desire, his physical build is built to bring him what he needs. Right? The lion has the necessary teeth and the necessary claws, whatever they're called, claws or nails, whatever it is, in order to kill, in order to eat, because they need to eat to live. Which means, he says, let's think about it. The animal was given the body built. He was given the tendency and desire, all in order to do what he needs to do in order for him to live. And he goes through, he says, a, uh, he says the cat is just born with a natural instinct, he's going to go after the mice. And the hawk, after certain birds. And the deer, after certain snakes. The, uh, the, the birds, some birds go after certain types of fish. They instinctively know which animals or which food they need in order for them to live. And then you have those that are only going to look for grass and for bushes. And by the way, it's not because they're smaller and not able. Some of the biggest and most ferocious animals, they live on grass. Right? And he says, and everyone has the right teeth and the right nails and the right horns for exactly what it needs. So he says, if we see that Hashem did that in the animal kingdom, we have to believe that Hashem did that for us as well. Which means just like he created each one with what they need in order to accomplish what they need to live, Hashem gives each and every one of us the right physical strengths, the right mental areas, the right passions, the right desires that should lead us into making and choosing which sibos we're going to make. So at the end of the day, yeah, I'm making choices. Mm -hmm. And I should make choices. But Hashem is giving me so many indicators. Those indicators are my passions, are my abilities, are my talents, are my build, are the set of circumstances that Hashem gives me. Those are Hashem's way of telling me things. Now, does that mean that it's always perfectly clear everything? No. We have to use our mind, and there is a concept of, of uh, collaborating and talking. But Hashem gives us so many indicators, each and every one for themselves, of where are those areas where we can and should be making our sibos in order to accomplish what we need in life.
He goes on and says, but whatever we do, whatever Siba we're going to decide to throw out, put our efforts in and so on, he says, our kavana, our intention should be, I am doing this because Hashem wants me to do this. I'm doing this because this is, I'm fulfilling my mandate from Hashem to work and make my Siba for Hashem to give me his bracha. And he says, Hashem creates the first man and woman in Gan Eden. What does he do? What does the Pasuk say right after Hashem creates Adam and Chava? Hashem takes man, and it's Adam and Chava there. He puts them into Gan Eden to work the ground, to guard the ground. In other words, the very first man and woman, Hashem says, I created you here not just to sit around and I'll give you money. I created you to work. And that's how you're going to receive my brachas. And therefore he says, when we work, and when we put in our efforts, in whatever we do, our kavana is, I am doing this to serve Hashem. Hashem is the source of bracha, but He wants me to create a keli, and that's what I'm doing. And ultimately he says, when I'm doing that, that all of my work is l'shem shemayim. It's all because this is what Hashem wants me to do. Hashem will give me bracha, but He wants me to do A, B, C. And then he says, he says, you know what? When you're doing your job, you know where Hashem might give you the bracha? Through a different window. Sometimes I'm trying it, I'm doing my best, and the bracha comes from a totally unexpected area. Because the bracha is meant to come to me. I have to do my siba, I have to work my, you know, do according to my best understanding of what's best suited to me and fit for me. And Hashem will give me the bracha in the way that He does. And when a person does that, He says, when a person works that way, and a person recognizes that whatever we do is, I'm doing my job and Hashem will do His, He says that a person receives the bracha of Hashem and the, and the reward from Hashem, whether he was, saw success in their particular job at that time, or they didn't see success, he brings the pasuk, um, he brings the pasuk of, uh, I, didn't, I didn't write it down, the pasuk of, Yigiya kapecha kisochel, ashrecha v'tovlach, that when, as well, that when a person puts in their proper yigiyah kapecha, which means the toil of their hands, ashracha, they're fortunate, the tovlach, they receive Hashem's brach in this world and the next world, because ultimately everything they do becomes part of their avodas Hashem. And he says when a person looks at it that way and understands it that way, and he understands that the sibos that they make are never the source for their bracha, they're merely kalim that they're making, therefore when things don't go exactly as they as they, you know, hoped to see in that particular deal or whatever, so they don't have too much sar, they're not too upset, because they did what they have to do. I did my ishtablis for Hashem, um, and when, I'm, when one is successful, that doesn't take away from his bitachon and Hashem as well. When the person is focused on this, that Hashem is the source of bracha, and I'm fulfilling Hashem's will by doing my avoida to make another keli and another keli, then when I don't do so well, I'm happy. When I do very well, I'm happy. And always my happiness is because I'm doing what Hashem wants for me and I have full trust that Hashem will do what He wants for me as well. And with that, he finishes chapter 3, Peri Gimel. Um, we're going to complete here and move on to chapter 4 next week. Hashem. Uh, question. Sure.